this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast, and if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org, or come in person at 1030 College Drive on Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. This morning's passage is one of several healing stories from Scripture where Jesus heals someone who is blind. Blindness in the time of Jesus' life on earth was a truly horrendous station in life. Many, many people who were blind spent their lives begging on the streets just trying to survive. And in Scripture, blindness not seen is often used as a way to talk about a spiritual blindness of not seeing a reality that you need to see. The the sense that the kingdom of God is at work in front of you and you can miss it. I think of all the head-bumping conversations Jesus had with the Pharisees who thought they were so right because sometimes you can know all the right answers and still fail the test. I remember when Jesus healed someone on the Sabbath, a woman, and the Pharisees were mad at Jesus because he did this, only because he broke the Sabbath rule of rest. And Jesus said, look, if your ox is in the ditch, you get your ox out of the ditch. You can be so consumed with following the letter of the law that you have forgotten the spirit of it in the first place. And I think of other places in Scripture where there's a sense of a spiritual blindness. Paul, the great Apostle Paul, before his conversion to Christianity, he was on the hunt to arrest Christians and lock them up and throw them in jail. And uh, God gets Paul's attention in a big, big way by making him blind for days. He had no vision, no sight. And when his sight was physically restored... Suddenly, he had a new way of seeing Christians and understanding the message of Jesus. I think of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're walking with the resurrected Lord, and they almost miss recognizing him for who he is. Or Mary in the garden on that first Easter Sunday almost didn't recognize Jesus until he said her name. There is a common repeating of the sense that you can have sight and not really, truly see. And this morning, we want to hear this physical healing story of Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35. It's eight verses. I invite you to read along with me. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard a crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who were in front sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he shouted even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me see again. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it, praised God. Now, true confession for a moment. When I was studying for this 
passage this week, I was taking notes and I realized that I sort of had three different sermons going on, three different directions, three different meanings in the passage, and I couldn't decide which one I like more, so you're getting all three today. <laughs> but don't worry, don't panic. It's just going to be a cliff note version of all three points that I thought were really important today that I wanted you to notice in this passage. Because it seems simple, but actually there's a lot going on in this passage when you look at it. By Luke 18 now, Jesus is well into his ministry. In fact, he's making his way towards Jerusalem. A blind man hears the commotion. He asks what's going on. They say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He immediately yells for Jesus. Have mercy on me. He calls out to Jesus. And what do the people around him tell him to do? Be quiet. Hush up. Know your place. Be quiet, beggar. Stop making a scene on this special holy man, but he doesn't listen. In fact, he gets even louder, the scripture says. And Jesus hears him and asks him to come over. And he asks him a question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, when it comes to healings, Jesus healing people, maybe in your mind you have some of those healing convention type revivals in your mind. I picture the Benny Hens of the world where you get a healing and you get a healing and he's just randomly walking up to people. But here is Jesus in the scripture and what does he do? He stops. He sees him, the person. He asks him what he needs from him. Did you notice that? I wonder what that felt like to the blind beggar. In fact, blind beggar is probably what he was called all the time. It's probably what he was known by. They probably didn't even remember his name. Scripture certainly didn't remember his name. Blind beggar. He was known by his condition, by his station in life. The blind beggar who was told to hush. But Jesus saw him. He noticed him. What do you want me to do for you? He didn't talk to the people around them and ask them what they thought Jesus needed to do for him. He didn't talk above him or about him. He talked to him. He saw him. Dignity, value, and worth. This is what we see from Jesus' ministry and everyone he encounters. He treats people with dignity and value and worth. It is a reminder to us all if that's how we treat others, if that's how we see other people with dignity and value and worth, everyone. It's funny how many times charities have thought they have known best what people needed. The people in power, the people on the board feel like they know best and what to offer and how to offer to those in need. I'm mindful of my own friend Tolu who started the Nashville Food Project, and their mission is to uh, serve healthy, fresh ingredients, meals, to people who are hungry. And I remember her talking about how, um, in the beginning, they had all these gardens, and they were growing vegetables that they would then turn into meals for people, and she said, look, the, the kale and the collards, they're both very similar, they're both very nutritious vegetables, but the kale nobody touched and the collards flew off the dinner table and she had to realize less kale, more collards. 
You know, I think of global ministries and the Christian church, how they've even evolved of how we think about and do missions. It's gone from a ministry where we thought of us, the American churches, with something wonderful to offer the developing nation churches into an actual partnership, a two-way street where we recognize that both communities have gifts and both communities have things to learn and things to offer. Jesus saw this man, not as a blind beggar, but as a child of God, dignity and value and worth. Number two, I want you to notice today that the people around him wanted him to be quiet. They told him to be quiet. Stop making a scene. Stop yelling for Jesus. And if he had listened to them, if he had taken their advice, Jesus might have kept on walking right by. And I mentioned this this morning because perhaps you have your own long-held needs for Jesus' mercy. Maybe it's a prayer that you have been praying year after year, decade after decade, and it feels to you like it's something you just need to raise the white flag and give up on. Don't. Earlier in this very same chapter, Jesus tells a story, a little story, about a widow who brings an injustice before a judge, and the judge refuses to listen to her, and she just nags him. She just refuses to go away. She just hassles him and hassles him until finally he listens to her. The point of that whole story is not to give up. And here it is. If this man on the streets begging and calling for Jesus had listened to those around them and given up, Jesus might have kept on walking. Psalm 102 has this sweet verse that says he will regard the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. Keep praying. Don't quit. Keep seeking his mercy because his mercy is for you in your life too. Finally, it's the seen and the not seen part of the story that I wanted to talk about. Because too many times, we act like the people around this man. We think we know best. We see the situation for what it is, and we know. Be quiet. Hush up. Know your place. He's the one, though, who had the faith. He's the one who knew he needed Jesus' mercy, and he wasn't going to let anything stop him. He wasn't going to give up. They're the ones with sight. And they're the ones missing it. There's a fascinating story. Actually, he's a fascinating life. If you've never heard of him, um, his name is Jacques Luceron. And he was a French Nazi resistor in World War II. He worked, um, he was only a young man. He was 17 when he helped to start a group with people called the Volunteers of Liberty. And basically, this group was trying to encourage French citizens to resist Nazi occupation. And, they, and he was a recruiter, but he would also do things like spread pamphlets and information. They would drop information on buses and trains for other citizens to pick up and read. And he was 
betrayed by one of his own within his group, a spy, and he was arrested and sent to Buchenwald concentration camp. And he was one of about 2,000 French citizens that spent time at that camp. And he lived through the end of the war, but actually he was only uh, one of 30 of the 2,000 that were still alive when the end of the war happened. And the thing is about Luceron that is interesting, particularly interesting, after you're hearing all this, is that he was blind. He was not blind at birth, but he lost his sight at an accident when he was seven years old. And he wrote a really interesting book called And There Was Light. And the thing about his story that he wrote about is that after he lost his sight, his father was determined to not see him with pity uh, for his whole life. And so he told his son to uh, let us know every time you discover something. He wanted his son to have a sense of awe and wonder about the world. And what Lucien wrote is that he realized that there was this whole reality of the world that he had been missing because of his sight. He writes, the oak, the poplar, the nut tree have their own specific levels of sound. He said the tone of a tree is entered like a room. It indicates a certain order in space, zones of tension and zones of free passage. The same is true for a wall or a whole landscape. He would amaze people by identifying the tree he was standing next to just by hearing the sound the wind makes through the leaves. He could tell about the space and size of a room by just sensing the pressure of the walls or hearing the sound the way the room changed by the sound of his voice. And he writes, the problem with seeing the regular way is that sight naturally prefers outer appearances. It attends to the surface of things, which makes it essentially a superficial sense. We let our eyes skid over trees, furniture, traffic, faces, too often mistaking sight for perception, which is easy to do when our eyes work so well to help us orient ourselves in space. He lost his sight, but suddenly he was aware of all that he had been blind to before. And so with some humility today, I want to offer this word to us all, that sometimes we think we see a situation or a person for who they are. We size them up. We know them, right? We've got it all figured out. Like those people telling the blind man to just hush up and be quiet. We think we know how things are supposed to be. But like Lucerne writes about, we tend to see to the surface. We don't see, we don't know the whole picture or the whole story. And I wonder if we aren't careful, sometimes we can miss Jesus when he's right in our midst. We can miss his mercy because we think we know how it's supposed to look like. And the next time you find yourself in a challenging situation or with a challenging person, what if you prayed for new eyes? What if you prayed for eyes to see them the way Christ sees them? 
I have a minister friend who is particularly good at this. Uh, whenever you try to rant to him about some frustrating situation or someone who's not very good at their job, he will inevitably ruin the moment for you by saying something like, well, it's a really hard job and I bet they're doing as good as they can. He's managed to learn to see people with a generous spirit. It's just a part of how he is. He's, he's managed to recognize that he doesn't always see or know the full story, and so he chooses to see that person with a generous spirit. I still have to learn that sometimes. You know, we are quick to say, fix them, Jesus. Fix that situation. God, please change them. But when is the last time we ask God to change us, to give us new eyes at seeing them, new perspective on how we should see them, to see beyond the surface at what is really happening? The word disciple has an interesting background. The actual word, it comes from Latin words, discipluus, which means pupil, which has a word, a root of the word to learn. So a disciple, a disciple of Christ, it's not a leader, it's not a believer, it's not a follower, as I would probably choose the word. To be a disciple is someone who learns, a learner. We are to be a people who sit at the feet of Jesus to learn, to grow, and to change, to see things in new ways, to find new eyes and new perspective. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Do me a favor, let's say this little phrase together. Repeat it with me. You, don't, you can sing it if you want, I'll make Bill happy, but just say the words with me. We'll know when to stop. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Lord, give us eyes to see. Amen.